say I am uh, happy to see you this morning. I'm glad to know that uh, I'm not the only one who doesn't have a beach house or a mountain house or a lake house or a friend that invited me to go hang out at their beach house or lake house or mountain house. But uh, uh, it's glad to look out and see your bright and shining faces today. Faces are important, not only for me to be able to look out and see yours, uh, certainly not for you to look up and see mine. I've been told for years that I have a great face for radio. But you know, it's the faces of the people that are the most important to us, that we are closest to, that we love the most, that when we have not seen them, we long to see them so much more. Remember when I was in um, uh, late junior high, which is what existed before there was middle school, uh, or uh, maybe in early high school, I really don't remember exactly when it was, my Boy Scout troop went to Philmont Boy Scout Ranch. It's 200 and some odd square miles in the New Mexico Rocky Mountains. Uh, we backpacked for about 10 days, a couple of days travel to get out there, a couple of days travel to get back. We were, it was about a two week trip. And I distinctly remember when we got back, talking to my best friend as, as we were arriving in our hometown, I said, I don't remember what my grandfather's face looks like. And my granddad was, was a very important person in my life. We were very close. I loved him. He loved me. We, we were great together. But I just had that memory of saying to my friend, I don't remember my grandfather's face. You know, when we can't see someone's face, someone that's particularly close to us for a long time, we long to see their face. There's, there's something deep within us that, that craves to do that. Faces have become even more and more important. Kevin was, was talking about the technology that allows people to, to join us by the internet as we worship God today. We now have phones that will recognize your face. I don't have one. My daughter has one of those uh, phones that she just you know, lifts it, looks at it, and the phone wakes up. I keep waiting for her to wake it up and set it down and leave the room so I can get it and change the settings with my own face and see how long it takes her to figure out that somebody has just punked her. Um, boy, I hope she's not watching right now. Faces are important, but not everyone can see a face. Not everyone has the capacity to recognize and to differentiate between faces. There are two conditions uh, in the world right now, recognized in America, that kind of fall under the umbrella of what's called face blindness. The first condition is called prosopagnosia. Now, this actually afflicts about 2% of the American population. Folks with prosopagnosia have the inability to recognize or differentiate between faces. In other words, your spouse may not be able to tell the facial difference between you and their boss. Now, that would be creepy. The other condition is called prosopamnesia, and this is an even rarer condition. There are even fewer people who experience this. These are folks who cannot learn a new face. It just doesn't register in their brain. So can you imagine going through life with either of these conditions and everyone you meet just looks like this? You cannot tell the difference. Everyone has just this sterile, blank, non-expressive face. Sure, there might be expression, but 
but every face looks the same. Or, or maybe you try to learn a new face and it just doesn't register in your brain correctly so that every face that you learn ends up looking like this. It's just this jumble of uh, disjointed images that don't form a face. So the next time you see this person, you don't know whether you've ever seen them before or not. The last chapter of the last book of the Bible has something to say about this. We've been in this series of messages we called Endgame. Uh, we're looking at the book of Revelation. By the way, just one of my pet peeves, it is the revelation, singular, not revelations, plural. God gave John a revelation. Uh, most of us fumble over that. So forgive me for allowing me to get one of my pastoral pet peeves out in your midst very briefly. But in the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, John shares with us something that he has learned from God, that he has seen from God, that takes away this prosopamnesia or prosopagnosia. It gives us a promise that the face of God will always be seen. It restores creation. Listen with me to Revelation 22, the first five verses. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing down from the throne of God and the, of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There'll be no more night. They'll not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. May the same Holy Spirit who inspired the writing and preservation of these words inspire them for our understanding as well. You know, the reason I think that, that this promise that we will see the face of God is so important is that it goes all the way back to early chapters of Genesis, to the very beginnings of creation itself. You remember how God created uh, order out of chaos, how he created the earth and the cosmos, how he separated the dry land from the waters, how he established the sun to rule by day and the night to rule by night. He gave us light. He populated the earth with plants, with every growing thing, and then he, he populated the earth with animals, and then he, he created the human creation. Male and female, he created them. You remember that story. And then you remember how things went south, how things got a little bit bad. Planted there in the garden with Adam and Eve to tend the garden, to name the animals. You can do anything you want, just don't eat from this one tree. Serpent slithers along and, and convinces Adam and Eve that God really didn't mean what they thought they heard God say, that it was okay, that they'd really like it if they would eat from this tree. So, and everything changed. They both ate. Sin entered the world, and we have not been the same since. Prior to that, there was this unfettered and unhindered 
blissful relationship with God where, where God would come to the garden and spend time with Adam and Eve and have this intimate relationship, this close fellowship with them. But after this, it says God came into the garden and he looked and he could not find them and he, he called out to Adam and said, where are you? You remember what Adam said, Genesis 3.10, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. Adam knew that something had gone wrong. He knew that something had broken, and he he could not look on God's face, and so he hid his own face because he could not see the face of God. Revelation 22 tells us that that's going to be reversed, that God's face will never be hidden again. But until that point, we deal with and we live in a world in which things just are not the way they were supposed to be. I was reading the Psalms this past week and, and read in Psalm 13:1, the psalmist said, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Because of God's awesome power and, and majesty and holiness and our own brokenness and sinfulness, we cannot look on the face of God. It's not just you and me. It's all of the created order. It's all of people. Even Moses, the great Old Testament patriarch whom God selected to lead the people out of Egypt on the Exodus. As he was leading the people, Moses said to God, I need to see you. I need to be able to talk to the people, to tell them who it is that is speaking to me, who is leading the people. You've got to show your face to me. You remember what God said in Exodus 33, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Even Moses couldn't see the face of God. God did relent and and just a few verses after that, he said, I will pass by you, but I will cover your face with my hand. As I pass by, I will remove my hand and you'll see my back. My face must not be seen. Because of the brokenness in this world, because of the sin in our lives, we cannot see the face of God. Now, there's hope. Don't, don't, don't give up just yet. There's hope. And, and throughout history, there have been glimmers of hope. In Scripture, in the book of Job, which is a tough book to read and, and work your way through. So let me give you a quick little 60-second synopsis of the book of Job. It begins in the first two chapters, uh, introducing us to this character named Job, who is a really good guy, really godly person, but then loses everything, wealth, family, and health. It's all taken his way. His wife tells him to curse God and die. He refuses to do it. He basically says, and this is Chuck's condensed synopsis, I want to talk to God. I want to know why this has happened. Friends show up, three friends, and then another one show up, and, and Job says, I want to talk to God. One after the other, the friends say, there's obviously sin in your life. If you would confess your sin, repent from your sin, you could talk to God, you could sort this out. Job says, I get that, I know that, I'm aware of that, I have sinned, I have confessed my sin, I have repented, I want to talk to God. And it goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, until the end, Job has the opportunity is asked for, and God appears to him out of a whirlwind. And God begins to ask Job questions. And Job's response to God in his power, in his holiness, in his majesty, in chapter 42, he says, my ears have heard of you, but now 
my eyes have seen you. So we do get the opportunity to see God again. Remember that Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he begins with the Beatitudes, and and in the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Obviously, that's why you and I have not seen God. We're not exactly pure in heart. I know I'm not. And I know that I cannot on my own attain purity of heart. I need the majesty and the power and the work of God in my life to enable God to look at me through the eyes of Jesus to see me as pure in heart. In the 14th chapter of John's gospel, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's preparing them for the moment when he's no longer going to be with them. He knows that he's about to face uh, betrayal and beating and crucifixion. Ultimately, it will result in resurrection, but then ascension, he's not going to be with them forever. And he says to his disciples in John 14, if you really know me. Now, let me hit the pause button right there for a moment and say, If you have been a follower of Jesus for any period of time, if if you've read the Bible, if you've just read the New Testament, if you've only read the Gospels, you have come to know who Jesus is and you know him. So Jesus says, not just to his disciples 2,000 years ago, but to you and me today, if you really know me, You know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. So while you and I don't have the benefit of seeing Jesus with our eyes, through our hearts and in our souls, we see him and we know him. Let me put it this way. How many of you have ever been on a short-term mission trip? Pakistan, uh, India, Costa Rica, uh, Jamaica, Ecuador, Guatemala, uh, any of the places. We we do them every year, folks, so there's no excuse. It's always an opportunity for you to sign up. How many of you have ever worked Habitat for Humanity? Gone out there, hit your thumb with a hammer? You know, uh, it was one of Truett Cathy's sons at Truett Cathy's funeral said that whenever his dad would hit his thumb with a hammer, he would yell, Kentucky Fried Chicken. (laughs) So you may want to, you know, add that to your uh, uh, language repertoire the next time you stump your toe or or hit your thumb with a hammer. So whether you've been on a short-term mission trip or or you have um, worked with Habitat for Humanity, maybe you've served in a soup kitchen, uh, gone downtown or, or in some other community, and you've put food on a tray or on a plate to serve people who are living on the streets and don't have anything. Maybe like Kevin was encouraging you to do earlier and you have signed up or you're going to sign up to work to volunteer at Vacation Bible School. Do you remember in Matthew 25, Jesus said, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. So when you've been on that short-term mission trip, when you've met that homeowner at Habitat for Humanity, when you've served at a soup kitchen for the homeless, or, or you've volunteered at Vacation Bible School, you have looked into the eyes of Jesus. Because remember, he said, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done this for me. Our struggle is that We fear that the face of Jesus has been taken away from us 
and we'll never be able to see it again. But the reality is that we will see the face of Jesus again. And whenever that face has been taken away from you and you think you'll never see it again, that it is lost forever, and then you see that face, everything in your life changes. There's there's a scene in the movie Gladiator that kind of illustrates this. Um, For the three of you who who have never seen the movie, let me try and set it up for you very simply. Gladiator is a general in the Roman army named Maximus uh, who is serving as the right-hand man to Caesar, the emperor, uh, when Caesar is killed mysteriously uh, and his son ascends to the throne. He wants Maximus executed because he senses in him a threat. So he sends him off to be executed. He survives the attempt to execute him, but ultimately is lost and become and is captured, becomes a slave, and is turned into a gladiator in the Roman games. Story moves forward until the point that he is in the gladiatorial games so successful because of his leadership capabilities as a a general in the army that he is leading the gladiators and in the games, the gladiators beat the Roman army. It wasn't supposed to be scripted like that. But because it was such a remarkable and amazing event, the emperor, played by Joaquin Phoenix, decides to come down and meet this gladiator, played by Russell Crowe. He doesn't know who it is. He knows General Maximus very well, but he doesn't realize this is Maximus for two reasons. One, I had him killed. Two, Maximus is wearing a helmet that shields, that hides his face. Watch what happens when the emperor sees his face. Why doesn't the hero reveal himself and tell us all your real name? You do have a name. My name is Gladiator. How dare you show your back to me? Slave! Will you remove your helmet and tell me your name? My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix Legions, loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. Two things. One, I'm going to have to go home and watch that again. It's a a great movie. Um, Or it is, I I think it is anyway. Two, notice how the emperor responds when he sees his face. That's a little bit of a, a twist in what I'm trying to convey to you because the emperor, when he sees this face, is afraid because he thought that face was gone and would never have to look at it again. But if you turn that around and realize that it is not my face that's hidden from God, but God's face that is hidden from me. When the face is revealed, it doesn't bring fear and anxiety. It brings instead joy and mercy, and peace and hope. For, for too many of us, this ability to perceive the face of God is rooted in our relationship with our earthly father. 
painting with a very broad brush, many people project onto God the similar relationship as they had with their dad. So if your picture of dad is that he's just kind of a grumpy old man, looks something like this, then that's going to be your perception of God. Or or maybe you don't perceive dad as being this old grumpy man. Maybe he's a young kind of snarly kind of a guy that that just, you know, frowns at his creation, frowns at you and me. Have to put this next picture up on the screen because the most famous grumpy face in the internet died this week. Grumpy cat uh, went to wherever cats go when they die. All dogs go to heaven. That's all I'm going to say. But there's also the possibility that there have been spiritual leaders in your life who have projected a grumpy image as well. And that has marred your capacity to see God as a kind and a loving person. But if you turn that around and realize, or maybe your dad projected an image of being really happy when he saw you, and he looked at you like this and just smiled blissfully whenever he saw you, or, or maybe it's not that blissful joy, but it's just a look of, of happiness and contentment. Maybe even there have been spiritual leaders in your life that weren't grumpy, but were happy when they saw you. The good news is that if we have spiritual or theological proso, how do I pronounce those words again? Prosopagnosia or prosopamnesia, and we can't see God's face, the good news is that can be reversed. Revelation promises us that it will be reversed. A number of years ago, a man named Sky Jathani wrote this uh, Hallmark book entitled With, Reimagining the Way You Relate to God. It's, it's a foundational book that I encourage everyone to read at some point along the way. I, I cannot tell you how many times I have read it myself. I uh, can't tell you how many groups uh, I have led through uh, in discussing uh, what this book is all about. It, it really opened my eyes to my own relationship with a loving God. In this book, Jathani tells a story about working with a group of college students, and he asked them, when you sin, how do you think God thinks about you? Think about that for a minute. When you sin, how do you think God thinks about you or looks at you? Which one of those faces does God have? So the college students to a person said, well, he's just disappointed with me. He's, he's angry at me. He's, he's sad about what I've done. He's, he's disappointed. And Jathani said, yeah, but do you realize that even in your sin, God loves you? He cares for you. So it's not that grumpy dad face as much as it is I still love you, face. A number of you have heard it at one time or another about my own background, having grown up in one of those households where I have no memory of ever hearing either of my parents tell me they love me. I am not traumatized for life. I know my parents love me. I know it now. I knew it then as, as a child, as a youth, as a young adult. Our family just didn't work that way. We just didn't say that. And 
So I projected some of that onto God. Until one day, I was graduating from Arkansas State University, that great academic and spiritual and football powerhouse in Northeast Arkansas. And I mean, I already had my diploma. I had picked it up. I didn't have to walk. I didn't want to walk because all it was going to be was College of Liberal Arts, Department of History, please rise, stand up. You are graduated, be seated. So it was not walking across the stage. What's to it? My parents were there, my brother and his wife. My sister was not there. My sister said, Dad has put you through four years of college. All he wants is to see you graduate. And then it turned into icky weather. So commencement was moved from the football stadium into the basketball arena, and I'm walking into this basketball arena from this corner, all of eight bazillion of us wearing those wonderful polyester red graduation gowns and pieces of cardboard on our head, and I'm walking in, and I'm thinking, there is no way in the world I'm going to see my family. And as I walk in, I start scanning the arena. And I'm just following whoever is in front of me, and I go all the way around, and I'm looking down at that end of the arena, and I'm all the way around on this side of the arena, and we're walking in, and somewhere back over in this corner, I look over, and I see my dad. (laughs) One of about three times in his life, I saw him demonstrate unbridled emotion. And something changed in my relationship with my dad that day. What's even better is something changed in my relationship with God that day. Because instead of seeing God as grumpy God who was trying to get me, I saw God as happy God who loved me and wanted me to look at his face. All of us have done things we wish we hadn't done. And when we do that, The person we have offended, we can't look them in the eye, we look down. And that's what happened with Adam and Eve in the garden. It's not that God took his face away, it's that we took our face away from God. And Revelation promises us that God's face will not be hidden. And instead of looking down, God wants us to look up into his eyes of joy, of mercy, of forgiveness, and love. Look into the face of God and find a face of love. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the assurance that your face will not be hidden, but that you are always turning your face towards us. And even when we look away and we we fear or we feel like your face is hidden from us, you want to reveal it to us. Help us today to look up into your face and see your joy and your love. Shape our hearts, not just our hearts, but turn our faces to you as well. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen.